0: so it's walking slow. But thank you guys for being here tonight. Man, I'm super excited to be sharing with you all. It's really fun being on this side of things. Um, Yeah, like Ellie was saying, Chico Project, it's going to be here in Chico. I hope to see all of you guys there. It's going to be great. Well, I am speaking on Galatians 6 tonight, and I am stoked to just get to just dive into the Word with you all. I'm going to go ahead and get started and Uh, Before I do, I actually have a really great, uh, it's like a thought-provoking quote from John Piper. And if you guys don't know him, he's like a renowned theologian, pastor, author. He's just a really great guy. And this quote gave me a lot to think about. So I really hope you guys can get something out of it too, but I'll go ahead and say it now. Probably the worst enemy of time, or the worst enemy of enthusiasm is time. Human beings have a remarkable and sad capacity for getting tired of wonderful things. Your first day of vacation on the coast The sunset was breathtaking and made you so happy you could sing. But by the end of your stay, you hardly even noticed it anymore. Vacationers get tired of sunsets. Millionaires get tired of money. Kids get tired of toys. Christians get tired of doing good. Tonight, I would like to encourage you all to continue to do good. We'll be looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9, uh, which should be in your handout. And I'm going to go ahead and read that passage for you now. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become wary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So there's a lot to unpack in this passage, so I'm going to go ahead and get started just verse by verse. So we're going to look at verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. This is a harsh reality to grasp. To be completely honest, when I read the Bible, I I tend to have a bad habit of picturing myself as someone on Paul's side rather than someone on the church's side. Here, Paul is writing to the church of Galatia, um, giving them correction as a leader of the church. I picture myself agreeing with Paul, maybe sitting next to him, kind of writing the letter with him, like correcting these guys that aren't doing uh, what they should be doing. Um, But I'm working on understanding the reality that I'm actually on the church's side and not on Paul's side. And I'd really encourage you guys to try thinking of uh, this that way too. I need to shift my perspective from shame on them. I can't believe the Galatians are mocking God to am I not just like the Galatians? In what ways am I mocking God? We need to understand that we are not above these warnings. John Piper also warns us in a response to this verse by saying this. There is always a time lapse between sowing and reaping. You may be able to deceive yourself for a little while that sowing that the sowing of selfishness is really going to yield more joy than sowing sacrifice for the sake of God's word. We might think that we can get away with a selfish lifestyle and experience little or no consequences, but Galatians 6:7 is very clear. God cannot be mocked. James 1:15 says this about sin. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Notice how there isn't an immediate consequence here. It says that when sin is fully grown, it leads to death. And see where it starts? Desire. Sowing to the flesh happens because we want it to. Our desires come from within. And even if you have committed your life to Christ and are a new person, you still carry around your worldly self. You still sin. And this is where forgiveness comes in. If you are here tonight and maybe somehow you still sin, or maybe not, but you know someone who sins. I'm just kidding. You should all. I mean, we all do. 1 John 1, 9. This verse is a great verse that talks about forgiveness. 1 John 1.9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This verse should be a relief to everyone. We are all sinners. We all need this verse. And God has graciously given us time to confess our sin. He wants us to. Sin pushes you away from God, and he wants to be close to you. I urge you guys to not let sin become fully grown in your life. And I'm not just talking about this sin that everyone knows about, maybe it's in your life. I'm talking about this sin that maybe no one knows about. I'm talking about the sin that you have behind closed doors. Maybe it's how you spend your Friday nights. Maybe it's what you watch at night when no one is there, whatever it is for you. It might not seem like it affects other people. Maybe it's just you by yourself, but that is the exact sin that James 1.15 says that leads to death. It's that sin. I wanna encourage you guys to maybe find someone, maybe a a leader here at Challenge that you can be open and honest to, that you can share that with. One of my favorite verses of the Bible, James 5.16, says this about confessing sin. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Doesn't that sound appealing? I mean, don't you guys want that? I know that when I sin, I don't want to just forget about it, maybe push it away for a little bit. I want to be done with it. I want to be healed. I want something powerful and effective, like this verse says. James 5.16 is clear that praying and confessing with other believers can make this happen. I want to conclude this first section with my first point of the night, which is to find a group of committed believers. Find a group of committed believers. There are many verses similar to James 5.16 in the Bible that share the same idea of not doing life alone. God created us to have fellowship and community. I would really encourage all of you guys uh, strongly to consider this action step. If this is your first time coming tonight, or maybe you've been coming and checking out Challenge for a few weeks or this semester, man, this is for you. Stick around, experience what it looks like to be a part of people like this, like the friendships that you can build, the encouragement that you experience, the powerful and effective prayer, even the ability to grow deeper in your walk with God there's so much more that I've found of being a part of a group, just like Challenge. Not only has being a part of Believers helped me personally, but it's also helped me find opportunities to do good. If you want to be better at doing good, make it easy for yourself. Get around people that want to do the same. When I was in high school, the idea of serving was exactly that. It was an idea. I remember being part of a youth group for a few months, and uh, a couple, every like, couple, few weeks, the guy would ask us, oh, so what's one way that you guys uh, were able to do good this week? And honestly, that was a hard question to answer, mainly because it wasn't on my mind to like serve others throughout the week. That just wasn't a part of my life. Even if I wanted it or I went to church and I thought that was a good idea, it didn't happen. Since I've been a part of Challenge, I've had countless opportunities to do good for others. Whether it's just showing up a little early and setting up for events like this, uh, giving a ride to a friend, maybe just being a part of a prayer group where we can specifically pray for other people. There's just been so many things that I get to be a part of that are so much bigger than myself. So the next verse in your handout is the second verse in Galatians 6 that we'll be going over tonight, which is Galatians 6, 8. Whoever sows to please their flesh from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the Spirit or reap eternal life. I don't think it's a consequence that Paul, the Apostle Paul, chose the word sow here. Sowing means to plant seeds by scattering them. It doesn't mean thinking about planting seeds. It doesn't mean buying seeds at the store and leaving them at your desk. And it also doesn't mean telling other people how many seeds you have. It means sowing them. And that's why it's harder than all those other examples I gave, because it actually takes action to sow. How often do we think about doing something good Or uh, maybe we think nice thoughts about someone else but don't share them. Or maybe you're presented with the opportunity to serve like a roommate or a family member and you strongly consider it before figuring out some excuse of why you can't. This is different from actually sowing seeds to the Spirit. Actions and thoughts are two different things. It can be easy to not relate your actions on Friday night to what your eternity will look like. But the Apostle Paul in this verse wants us to understand that our actions do, in fact, affect our eternity. The choices we make this week, over summer, senior year of college, all matter. We can get in a habit of trying to improve ourselves, ourselves by categorizing decisions into productive and non-productive, but we can easily trick ourselves into thinking something is productive when it's not. Have you ever tried this? Maybe you gave your whole life in high school to, uh, maybe sports, and you train daily, only to get an injury a year later and realize that it shouldn't have been the first priority of your life when you can't do it any longer. Or maybe you obsessed over a class and you really wanted the highest GPA possible and you were doing well in that class, you wanted an A plus, even though you just had an A right there and you studied and studied and did well on a test and then you realized that in college, most classes, you actually can't even get an A plus and you realize that that was what you were going for but it didn't even matter in the end. Paul brings up the idea of thinking of your decisions as sowing seeds which directly affect your future. Are you faithful in following God and obedient to taking action on what has been asked of you in God's word, or are you seeking comfort, self-gratification, success, maybe it's the approval of others, whenever you get the chance? Paul makes it clear that there are two very different roads here. Last week, Evan explained that if you're a Christian, you have access to the Holy Spirit who can help guide you to be faithful of what it means to follow Christ. I'd like to take a moment to explain to you all uh, what it means to be a Christian, maybe in a different light from what you've heard before. And this is equally important to whether you are a Christian or you aren't tonight. So, we're going to go ahead and get started with John 3:16. Maybe you guys have heard this verse before. It's a very common one. I love it. It says this: For God so loved the world that he gave er, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So, from this verse, John 3:16, We see that believing in god believing in jesus is key believing that he died for a reason which is our sin and therefore separation from god and believing that god will forgive us when we ask for it believing that he was resurrected three days later defeating death and finally believing that following jesus is how we should live our lives as christians if you have questions on any of these i'd love to be able to talk to you guys after or you can find a student leader with challenge that can help answer these questions or, what, or whatever you have. But for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and keep moving. And uh, so we have John 3:16, belief. Now I'm going to share with you guys James 2, 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action is dead. From this verse, we see that claiming to believe Jesus and believing Jesus are two very very different actions. What's the difference? Action. John Piper says this on the subject. Genuine conversion to a Christ, genuine conversion to Christ is not a mere human act of calling Christ our savior. Genuine conversion is a divine act by which a spirit of sonship is made to dwell in our heart. Giving us a hatred for sin and a love for righteousness and a confidence in the grace of Christ. We are converted when we hear the gospel, are moved to forsake our sin and put our faith in Christ for forgiveness and begin to walk by faith in his promise and power. Wow. Maybe you've heard that when you become a Christian, you become a new person and experience new life. When this happens, you choose to put Jesus in the center of your life instead of yourself. Like that kind of makes sense, right? Based on what the Bible says. Well, if that's true, then do we really just need to recite a prayer off of a piece of paper to be a Christian? While this might be the start, it's surely not the end of learning to become a follower of Christ. Here, in this uh, quote, Piper explains what else happens to us as we put our faith in Christ. He lists um, that if we are given the Holy Spirit, we gain a new hatred for sin and a love for righteousness. We are moved to get rid of our sin and replace it with a love and a faith for Christ. If all of this is true, then we have grounds to evaluate our own faith and see if we are true followers of Christ or if we prayed a prayer when we were younger just because that's what we thought it all took or maybe just to please someone or to make someone happy, maybe a family member or something like that. Based on all of this, Matthew 7.21 should be a heavy truth to you. This is Jesus speaking. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Take some time, think about this verse. I've read it multiple times and it's, it's very serious. It really makes me contemplate my own life and my own walk with God. So David Platt, who's a renowned author and pastor, puts it like this. He says, people who claim to believe Jesus aren't assured to go to heaven. Only those who obey Jesus are promised Jesus. Are works involved, that's what Jesus says. Our works aren't the basis. The grace of God is the basis of our salvation. Only those who are obedient to the words of Christ will enter the kingdom of Christ. If our lives don't reflect the fruit of following Jesus, then we are fools to think we are following Jesus in the first place. This whole passage in Galatians talks about sowing and reaping eternal life. Even if we can't understand it, it sometimes it can seem so broad and like sowing and reaping, like what does that mean for our lives? But I think that this quote from David Platt uh, really helps us to understand what it means. We can choose to be obedient to what God has called us to do. We can be faithful in taking the next step in our relationship with God, whether it's learning to maybe serve at church or pray more often or even taking the first step of accepting what Jesus has done by dying on the cross, like John 3, 16 said. One part of Galatians 6, 8 that I'd like to briefly go over, it sounds pretty heavy, is uh, the word destruction in that verse. Destruction, I mean, doesn't that sound kind of intense? Shouldn't it say something like a little bit easier, like maybe the word consequences? I mean, that word for me at least seems a little bit easier to swallow. If I see the word consequences, then I know that if I sin a little bit, then a little sin translates to a little consequence. Like I can handle that, but destruction just seems almost unfair. But in James 2.10, the Bible clearly says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. With that in mind, if I break all of the law, then destruction starts to sound more appropriate. Platt has some good insight on this idea as well. He says this, here's a thought. We think destruction is a high price, but that's because it's our own standards and not God's. We naturally view sin through man-centered eyes. The reason we wonder if this punishment is harsh is because we couldn't imagine responding if the offense was against us. When people don't obey us or go against us, we don't conclude that they deserve destruction. But the penalty of our sin is not determined by our measure of it. So think of it like this way, guys. Let's say uh, I'm here right now, and I walk up right to Devin. I just, I walk up to him, and I look at him, and I slap him. What, what would happen? Devin would probably not be very happy at me. He might be a little annoyed. You know, I don't know, something like that. All right, let's flash forward a couple hours. Maybe I want some John and Bonds. I go downtown later. Um, some guy's walking the other way. I look at him, and I slap him. What would happen? probably react a little bit harsher than Devin. I mean, I feel like I'd probably get beat up if that happened, probably wouldn't be great. Maybe 30 minutes later, I go down to the police station. I see a police officer, same thing, I slap him. What's gonna happen? Definitely gonna respond differently than how Devin responded. Like that, that's not good. Maybe I'm in jail for, night. I don't really know what happens. Planning on not doing that. Okay, um, I look at my bank account. I uh, decide to book a flight to Washington, D.C. Straight to the White House. I somehow get in. (laughs) President of the United States of America. I don't even want to imagine what happened, but you know, you guys get the idea, right? All that to say, the severity of sin's punishment is always a reflection of the position of the person who is sinned against. I'm going to say that again. The severity of sin's punishment is always a reflection of the position of the person who is sinned against. That's a heavy truth. Think about that. But if you guys remember, 1 John 1, 9, it's real. And thank goodness it is. Regardless of the severity of our sin, God promises to forgive us no matter the sin. As long as we confess, he will forgive. So a quick recap on what we've talked about for this section with Galatians 6, 8. Sowing is an action. If you want to sow the spirit and put into practice what God's word says, it takes intentional hard work. We talked about what it would mean to reap eternal life. And on that, it clearly talks about works and the importance of obeying Jesus. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 clearly says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Our salvation is not by our works. It is the basis. But what we found in James 2, 14 through 17 is that actions are produced out of a real faith in Jesus. We talked about what destruction means and how God views sin and how it's different from how we might view sin. This all leads me to my second point, which is to evaluate your faith by your deeds. Evaluate your faith by your deeds. If someone were to look at your schedule or follow you around for a week, would it be evident that you were a follower of Christ? Do you live out what you agree with, believe in and read from God's word? This can be a blind spot in our lives that we don't even know about. So my first step was to find a group of committed believers. Now with this step of evaluation, maybe the first part of this for you is to find someone who's maybe further along in their walk with God and, and ask them this question. Ask if they were to look at your schedule or from what they've seen, what does it look like that you actually live out your faith? This can be a lot more eye-opening than you might think. Hopefully this can show both of you uh, how you're doing well in doing good and what you may need to grow in are different opportunities that you could take advantage of. So the last verse we're going to take a look at tonight in Galatians 6 is verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So what does this mean? I'd like to propose a substitution for a minute to help us see this verse in a different light. Let's replace the word good in Galatians 6:9 with some of the fruit of the Spirit. And that's found in Galatians 5.22, what Evan talked about last week. All of a sudden, this verse becomes, let us not become wary in being patient and good and peaceful and faithful, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So why does Paul include this verse in the letter? Well, I mean, if being Christian was easy, Paul wouldn't need to encourage us. Telling us not to become weary implies that our natural tendency is to become weary. And if we grow tired of doing these things, living by the fruit of the spirit, what becomes of our lives? What's left for us to do? If we stop being patient and faithful and kind, what what are we doing? The opportunity to reap a harvest if we don't give up implies that we may not reap a harvest if we do give up. So when I was in high school, uh, I actually ran cross country for a few years. I remember one uh, race in particular We were up at Paradise. It was a course a little bit um, south of Chico, and I didn't know the course very well. It was on a dirt trail in a really large forest. All I knew was exactly how long we had to run, and there were these little markers in the trail that helped us get where we needed to go. The reason why I specifically remember this race all those years ago was that there was a guy that ran a little bit differently from most of us, and I saw him once a minute. Kind of a weird thing to say for a cross-country race. And the reason why I saw him once a minute is because we would start out, you know, you have your pace, you kind of run, and all of a sudden, someone would just sprint past me and then I wouldn't see him any longer. And about a minute later, I'd be running my pace and I'd see a guy walking, exhausted. It was that same guy that would sprint past me. And so I passed him because he was walking, going really slow, pretty tired. And a minute later, he would come sprinting past me. Man, this is like pretty funny to experience because that was not what I would experienced in any other race since we all have our like pace, you're running as hard as you can. And he just did it a little differently. And I just thought that was funny that he would keep running and sprinting and then stopping, sprinting, stopping. If you guys have ever run more than like a quarter of a mile, you probably get or at least understand the idea of pacing and why that's important to run well. So, I mean, if that guy was running just like a one mile race, that probably could have worked pretty well. But unfortunately, it was a cross-country race, so it was a little bit longer, and he ended up not doing too well because he got burnt out from that strategy. This is a kind of a funny uh, story. I mean, it was funny for me living it, like kind of watching it, and like I just didn't know how to comprehend it. But one thing that's interesting is—is is that not like what we do with our own lives, with our character? I mean, maybe one day we wake up and we feel really good, or we go to church and hear an inspiring message. Maybe we see a friend show an act of kindness, and man, we are so just inspired and just excited to do that again, you know? We saw a friend do it, we wanna do it. You just feel really good. But how long does that last? Maybe the afternoon, maybe a day or two. We do that, and then we just go back to the way our lives were. We sprint and do a really good thing. You know, we're kind. We show up early to serve. And the next day, we completely forget about it and go back to our selfish desires. God's desire for your life is not for you to have random outbursts of good deeds only to go back to your self-centered ways the next day. In 1 Corinthians 15 58, Paul urges us to remain faithful even in the midst of hardship. He says this, therefore my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We can be confident that our labor is not in vain. Our actions today To sow to the Spirit, our steps of faith will produce results. The Apostle Paul tells us this because we might not see the fruit of our labor uh, maybe next week, maybe not even in 10 years. The consequences of our actions, both good and bad, might not show in a week or a month, but they will show in eternal life. We can be sure of that. And one thing we do know is that we will face trials while we work towards sowing to the Spirit. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. To persevere is to continue to do good, to continue working through obstacles and difficulties. We can be confident that we will face these things, even on a daily basis, for the rest of our lives. This is exactly why Paul writes to the church in Galatia to not grow weary in doing good, like verse 9 says. This leads me to my last point, which is to make a plan for trials. Make a plan for trials. If we believe the Bible, then this verse is true. And if it's true, then like I mentioned earlier, we will experience trials. We should make a plan to prepare for them. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9 says this. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. In light of the fact that we will face trials, isn't this verse great? If you want to know why Paul can so confidently say this, I would really encourage you guys to read 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Don't you guys want this to be true of your life? If you aren't wise in preparing for the trials that you know will happen, How will you be prepared to serve others or do good during these things and during the times of your life where things aren't going your way? So what will it be for you? What will help you in times of opposition? Is it spending time with believers, spending time serving or doing good for someone else? Maybe it's memorizing a verse. What's gonna get you through these trials? I would encourage you guys, make a plan. Whether it's getting connected, growing in your walk with God, or taking the first step in believing what Jesus has done for you, I pray that you guys will take something away from tonight. And I would encourage you guys to not grow weary in doing good. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your goodness and your love for us. God, like John three sixteen says, God, that you sent your only son, that you love us that much to die on the cross for us and that we can experience a life knowing you through your word. God, I pray that you would help us to be obedient to whatever good things that you have called for us to do with our lives. God, that we would not grow weary in doing good. God, that we would stick together in a community of believers, that we would learn how to live life, God, the way that you want us to live life. And we can be confident that you have what's best for us and that you know what we want. And God, you want to bless us. And I pray that with these truths, you would help us to remain in you and help us to continue to do good throughout trials or anything else that may affect our lives. We thank you and we praise you. In your name I pray, amen. Thank you guys.